Well, good morning, friends. My name is Matt. If I haven't met you before, I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. It's great to see you at church this morning at our gathering. I, I was kind of half expecting it just to be me, the band, the production team, and a couple of others that were on setup. So it's so good to see so many of you here on what is a really hot day. Our fans are going to keep running to try and keep you guys as cool as possible. But we're kicking off, as Hope mentioned, a series over the summer called uh, the Summer of Psalms, and this morning we're kicking off in Psalm 1. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead, open it up to Psalm chapter 1, or on your phone, take that out. We're going to get into that in a second. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to provide you with one. There's some on the info desk that you can pick up this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to look at Psalm 1 together, so please join me as I pray for our time that God would bless this. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, a God who is not silent. And Father, we know that your word is like a hammer that smashes rock to pieces. It's like a two-edged sword that judges the thoughts and attitude of our hearts. It's like a seed that produces a bountiful crop of righteousness in us. And Father, this morning as we come before your word, we pray that you would help us to delight in it this year, to have joy in it, to meditate on it. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Who's excited for the scriptures this morning? Anyone? Yes. Good. Hey, Isaac, can I get you to fill me up with some water? I think I'm going to need it. All right, let's go. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 verse 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I remember reading a, an article from the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of years ago with this headline, Confession, Fewer Know Their Bible. And what they were doing was, thanks bro, picking up on a, a research paper done by the NCLS, National Church Life Survey, which you may or may not have filled out at, at a previous church. And what they discovered was that as they looked across all of Australia, across every denomination and every church that calls itself Christian, they found this statistic. 21% of people said that they read their Bible every day. And an additional 14% of people said they read their Bible at least a few times a week. So you got 35% of Christians in Australia who said they were regular at reading their Bibles, at drinking deeply of the Scriptures. Now, I don't know if that statistic alarms you or causes you great concern, but for me, it, I think, is that it? Only a third of the church willing to hear what God has to say to them? Interestingly, the denomination that had the best results in terms of reading the Scriptures were the Pentecostals. 72% of people that attend a Pentecostal church said they read their Bible at least every day or a few times a week. Isn't that great? Good on them. Not that it's a competition, because if it was, there were probably some real conservative churches that would just nail it because they're good at ticking boxes. But it's great. It is great that our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have read the Scriptures more than anyone else. Let that be an encouragement 
to us. But you know, it's kind of inevitable at this time of year to sort of hit the pause button, as Hope mentioned, and, and reflect on the year that was and on the year that lies ahead. And maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions, I'm not too sure, but my guess is that you've done this. If you're a person of faith, whether verbally or, or inverbally, you've said to yourself, this year I'm going to spend more time reading the Scriptures. This year I'm going to pray more. Yeah? I've done it. I don't know what 2014 was like for you spiritually. Maybe it was horrible. Maybe it was dry and dutiful and there was no joy. Maybe you just read the scriptures and and nothing went in, nothing fed you, nothing nourished you. Maybe church was draining and hard. Or maybe for you, 2014 was the best year you've had. Maybe you got saved last year and it was like you're still in honeymoon period and, and you haven't had a bad day in your faith yet. It's coming, trust me. But... But maybe last year was just a year where you grew, where you read the scriptures and every time you read it, it nourished you and fed you and equipped you for mission. I don't know what your year was like, but my hope and aim and prayer this morning is that as we look at Psalm 1, you would leave here delighting in the scriptures. That this would be a cause for you to hit the reset button and go, you know what, 2015 is going to be the year where I pursue God with all my heart, all my soul, mind and strength. Question for you, what... What year do you want 2015 to be like? Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to mature? Do you want to bear fruit for the kingdom? Do you want to endure the hardships and the struggles that come your way? Or do you want to go backwards in your faith, bear no fruit, and allow all of those circumstances that are hard to shipwreck your faith? What, what kind of a year do you want 2015 to be? How are you going to make 2015 your best year yet? A spiritual PB personal best. What's it going to look like to do that for you? Well, I think someone helps us in that. Someone says, if you want to have a blessed year, or in fact, if you want to have a blessed life, then this is the principle to work by. It says this, it's really simple, and sometimes we suck at just doing simple things, but this is what someone says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but meditate on the scriptures. That's it. Simple, right? Someone begins by saying, blessed is the man. Blessed is the person, in verse 1. And then in verse 3, it says, whatever they do prospers. Now, I don't know about you, as I read that, I think, well, how come? How come he's blessed? How come everything he does prospers? What is it about this person that leads to that? And Psalm says, well, he does a couple of things and he doesn't do a couple of other things. So let's have a look at what he doesn't do firstly. This is what it says, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. You'll notice there is a a progressive stillness to that verse. He stands, or he walks, and then he becomes still and he stands, and then he ends up sitting. Firstly, listening to that advice and then taking that advice on board and ending up sitting down and dishing that advice out to others. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. And the blessed person has figured that out. They do not seek the counsel of the wicked. You know, most people don't go from loving Jesus and worshipping God to rejecting Him outright in an instant. For most people, it doesn't just happen like that. It, it happens in a 
progression of a thousand slow, small, little compromises, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you realize there's a lot of distance between you and God. The blessed person does not get comfortable, progressively more and more comfortable with sin. And so be careful this year. If you find yourself justifying your sin and getting comfortable with it and and feeling less and less convicted over it, be careful. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. But what does the blessed man do? That's what he doesn't do. What does he do? Have a look at verse 2. This is what he does. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now that word law is the Hebrew word Torah. And it can mean kind of have, have sort of two senses. The first sense is it can mean individual laws like the Ten Commandments, right? Or it can generally just mean big picture instruction, God's instruction. And that's the sense of it here in Psalm 1. This man, this person delights in the instruction of the Lord. Their joy is in it. They delight in it. Instead of delighting and, and seeking pleasure in counsel of the wicked, it's the word of the Lord. It's the word of God. So delighted and enthralled that their heart is captured by what God has to say. You get a very similar picture and idea in Psalm 19, verse 8 and 9, 8 and 10. It says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey, than the drippings of honeycomb. Oh, the word of God is so good. Or Psalm 119, verse 14, the psalmist says this, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in much riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Blessed is the person who meditates and delights in the instruction of the Lord. Now that word, meditate there, we, um, we hear that word and we think all of a sudden new age, eastern sort of religion, but in the scriptures it doesn't have that sense to it. It's more about mulling something over, repeating it, going deep in it. And when we hear the word day and night, we think, well, this person must have been doing that 24-7 all day. They were just reciting the word of God in their heads, total space cadet, not connected with the world. That's not really what it means. It means chances are that this person in the morning and in the evening began and ended their day in the same way, with their Bible open, head in the scriptures, meditating on it. And so what it looks like for us in 2015 to have a blessed year is to go deep in the scriptures, to meditate on God's word, And I can't think of any better method of doing that, whatever your method is, as long as it works. But for me personally, the method that has absolutely revolutionized my reading of the Scriptures has been what we call the REAP method. And it's an acronym, and I know Christians are awesome at acronyms, and they're cheesy, but it's helpful to remember. REAP stands for this, read, explore, apply, and pray. That you would find a passage of Scripture and read it and reread it and then Turn one of those verses that has particularly spoken to your heart and write it down in a journal. And then you would begin to explore the meaning of that and what it means in its context of the verses above and below it and and what that verse says to you and then turn it into a personal application for your life and then begin to pray that application out. God, help me to do this. By the power of your Spirit, change me and strengthen me for this. I can tell you that 
using this method of meditating on the scriptures, I can remember what I read in my Bible in mid of, middle of January 2012 as I was reading through the book of Nehemiah and saw that Nehemiah came to the king and he paused before he went in and he prayed a prayer that God would bless that encounter and, and give him favor in the eyes of the king. I remember being convicted that I personally need to be a better in the moment prayer. And it transformed my spiritual life. That as I would talk to people or counsel someone or request permission, that I would just pause and pray in that moment, God bless this encounter. Would, would I find favor in the eyes of this person? Give me wisdom to say what you want me to say. All because I meditated on that scripture. I didn't skim read it. Am I still on? I didn't skim read that scripture. I went deep, dug deeply of that scripture. And so whatever method it is that you use make sure scripture reading isn't speed reading skim reading make sure it's meditation on the word because this is the pattern of the blessed person they delight in the instruction of the lord now i don't know about you as you read that and think about that you can often think is that me am i like the psalmist who craves after the word more than craves after much fine gold and, and desires after it, it's sweeter to him than honey. Is, is that me? Is that what my life is like? As I look back on 2014, did I delight and rejoice in the scriptures like that? And often we can think about this and we're honest with ourselves and it wasn't. As I've been preparing this message this week, I've had to preach this truth to my own heart. We can often come away with an overwhelming sense of guilt that we didn't do the things we wanted to do this year, another failed New Year's resolution. But you know, here's the deal. Guilt will never, ever motivate you towards delighting in the Scriptures. The Spirit of God never makes you feel guilty about your sin. It convicts you over your sin. Guilt is the work of the enemy. In a couple of weeks, uh, Tasha and I are going to celebrate our seventh wedding anniversary seven years married to my beautiful wife who's an amazing mum of our two kids and I gotta tell you it's not gonna be a chore for me to take her out on a date get a babysitter for the kids and take her out and celebrate seven years it's not a chore for me to come home and ask her how her day was and and sit with her and chat because I love her I enjoy her and surely that's what relationship with God should be like shouldn't it we will never find joy in God by allowing guilt to be the motivating factor of driving us towards seeking the face of God in the Scriptures. We need to allow the Gospel to motivate us towards greater joy. And I think the Gospel does that in this way. The Gospel turns our personal devotions, our Bible reading, our prayer, not into tasks of approval, but tasks of relationship. It's not that I'm reading the Scriptures in order to earn God's approval. It's not that if I read my Bible seven times this week, God's going to love me more than if I read it twice. No, no, the Gospel reminds us that I've been reconciled to Christ, that I've been adopted into His family, that I'm a child of God, and that it woos me, it draws me in to God because I've been reconciled, I've been drawn near, and that draws us in. So how will we allow ourselves to be motivated by guilt, condemnation and shame over past failures or will we allow the gospel, the love of God to draw us into relationship with him? But the question is, what do I do if I find myself in a place where there's just no delight? What do I do if I open the scriptures and I read and it just 
There's nothing. What then? What then if that is a sustained period of dryness for me? What, what do you do? Well, I want to suggest to do this. Pray that you would have new taste buds on the tongues of your heart. Pray for new affections for God, new desire for Him. I think Psalm 119 verse 18 says it wonderfully. This is what it says. So prayer, open my eyes that I might see, that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. God, open my eyes. There is nourishment there. There is joy there. There is delight there. Help me to see it, God. Open my eyes. If that's you, then just begin by praying that prayer and keep praying it, clinging to God and pleading that he would return to you the joy of your salvation. That's the place to begin if you find yourself dry in this season. The blessed person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but delights in the instruction of the Lord. And the psalmist gives us a beautiful picture of what that looks like in the following verses. He gives us a picture of a tree. Have a look in verse 3. This is what it says. He, that is the blessed person, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. It's a rich image, an image that I think we're very familiar with here in Australia. It's not just an image that's for people in the Middle East. We're familiar with this. Just think of the, the, the outback, arid dust, red dust plains, nothing to see but the haze of heat rising off the horizon and then all of a sudden a river or a creek runs through that arid, dry land and, and either side of that water source is vegetation and gum trees that grow up because it is nourished and fed by that source of water. The point of the picture is this. The blessed person is the person who is well fed, well nourished by the scriptures, by the word of God. Check out a couple of characteristics of this tree. First, you notice in verse 1 it says that this tree is planted by streams of water. It's been intentionally placed there because it's a good spot for a tree to grow and be nourished. I want to suggest to you, friends, that you're not going to accidentally this year fall into good habits of personal devotion. It's not going to accidentally happen. I remember once lamenting to a friend of mine that I just I couldn't find time to read my Bible as much as I wanted to. And he said to me, brother, you don't find time to pray and read. You make time. I was like, yeah, that's right. I need to make the time to do this. I was uh, reading a tweet by one of my favorite authors, John Piper, who said, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook is going to be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. That was a conviction for me a number of years ago. And in fact, I've put a, a number of things in place. I now track the amount of minutes I use on social media every day. I can go back and look at it to make sure that I'm not spending so much time on social media that I'm neglecting the Word of God. In fact, one of the guys from my gospel community has put a, a block on my browsers that I can only spend 23 minutes a day, because I need to use Facebook for work stuff, 23 minutes in, in business hours on Facebook. It's really helpful for me because I'm, I'm on there, quick, quick, done. I'm not wasting time clicking the links and looking at the articles by all my favorite preachers. And We don't just stumble into good habits of personal devotion. We need to be intentional. Second characteristic you'll notice about this tree, verse 3, it says there, it bears its fruit 
in season. It's a fruitful tree because the tree is planted by a source of nourishment and growth. If we want to have a blessed 2015, then we need to be drinking deeply of the Scriptures. If we want to be a better wife, a better husband, a better, a better colleague, a better co-worker, a better boss, a, 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 if we want to share the love of Christ with people, if we want to be fruitful for the kingdom of God, we have to be people who are planted near streams of water. It is only when we're there. Remember what Jesus says in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But we're kidding ourselves if we think we're going to be fruitful, have a blessed 2015, if we sever ourselves from our source. Third characteristic you'll notice from this tree is that it endures dry spells. In all that it does, it endures. Its its leaf does not wither. It doesn't matter if there's no rain. This tree has got a constant source of water and fuel. You ever wondered as you look at people and you think, how, how did that person endure that season of difficulty? How did that person get through that suffering and that loss and it seems like they've clung to Jesus and, and it looks like they love him more on the other side of it? How does that happen? Chances are, if that is a person of faith, it's because they've sent down deep roots into the Scriptures and allowed God to feed and nourish that they would endure that season of dryness and difficulty and suffering and opposition. You know, Jesus uses a very similar picture in Matthew 7 when he gets to the back end of the Sermon on the Mount. He tells a parable of of what it looks like to be people who hear the word of God and do it. He says, the person who listens to my word and puts it into practice, he's like the man who builds his house on the rock. But the person who listens and doesn't do it is like the person who builds his house on the sand. When the storm comes, the foundation is washed away and the house falls. Jesus needs to be our foundation. That is the image of the person who is blessed a tree that is planted by a stream of water, nourished and fed by the Word of God. Not about you, but I I want that to be my life in 2015. I want that. I mean, isn't that a good New Year's resolution to have, that we would bear much fruit and endure and grow in our faith? But the psalmist also gives us a second picture, a second image there, and it's a contrasting picture, that of the tree. It's a picture of the wicked in verse 4. It says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is the husk of wheat that is the product of farming. A farmer would would, um, harvest his crop and take all of his grain up to his mill house it would be situated on the highest point on his property and then in that mill house he would toss the grain in the air and the the empty um, husk of wheat the chaff would get caught by the wind and blow away and the heavy grain would fall to the floor and the psalmist says that is a picture of the wicked you notice the characteristics there the first is that it has no substance the chaff is empty There's nothing inside of it. Unlike the tree that bears fruit, the husk is empty. Secondly, you'll notice that the husk does not endure. The tree endures, it bears fruit in season. The husk is simply blown away by the wind. 
Now, at first glance, as you, you look at those two contrasts, you think, well, how naive. How naive of the psalmist to think like that. Or maybe it's just, we'll put it down to old-fashioned thinking. If you're a skeptic and non-believer here, you might think, well, sure, maybe they thought like that you know, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, but we've moved on. We don't think like that anymore. That was a time where people just attributed their successes to what, whatever God they worshipped. Or maybe you're a person of faith and you think, you think about it, you think, well, hang on a second, that sounds like some version of works-based reward system and God's not like that. And so let me offer a quick clarification of this. As we read the scriptures, we find and encounter different genres and it's the same with the Psalms. In the Psalms, there are different genres of Psalms. You might have a Psalm of lament where the Psalmist falls on his knees and cries out to God for some circumstances happened in his life, some suffering, some opposition, and he laments to the Lord. Or you might find a, a psalm of praise where the psalmist pours out his heart of rejoicing and praise over God's provision and blessing. Or you might find a psalm of historical narrative as Israel would gather together and literally they would just sing, this is what God did, this is what God did, this is what God did. But in the case of Psalm 1, we have a psalm of wisdom, much like a proverb. And wisdom literature is kind of like a principle and not necessarily a promise every time. That is to say that generally this is how it works, but it doesn't always happen like that. Now the Bible's not naive. You just have to flick a few psalms over. You get to Psalm 73 and the psalmist says, cries out to God in a lament, God, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? My heart has envied them. My foot has nearly slipped. And it's not until you get to the end of that psalm when he casts his eyes, he goes to the temple, into the presence of God, and he's reminded of eternity that it all makes sense. And I think Psalm 1 heads in that trajectory as well. It might not always work out now, but in light of eternity, yes, this always works out. This is what it says, verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Yes, it might, they might prosper now, but in the long run, God knows the way of the righteous. And so the question for me then is, who are the righteous? If that's the way that prospers, if that's the blessed life, how can I have that? How can I make sure that I'm one of those people? The way of the righteous is made possible only by the grace and mercy of God. A few Psalms later in Psalm 40, you get a picture of this blessed man. This is what it says, Psalm 40 verse 11. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That is, he doesn't just do this law out of duty and external obligation, but there is something inside of him that motivates him to do that. And then you flick to the New Testament, you get Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus explicitly turns Psalm 40 and says, this I am the person of Psalm 40, the one who delights in the law of the Lord. In fact, I've lived this law out perfectly every single step of the way. Jesus is the righteous man of Psalm 1. And he makes, by his perfect righteousness, the way of the righteousness of God possible and open to us. This is what it says in 1 Peter 3.18. 
This is the gospel, the great exchange. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he might reconcile us, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit. This is what theologians call imputed righteousness, that Jesus gifts us his perfection and takes our sin upon himself and dies for it. The, the righteousness of God, the way of the man in Psalm 1 is only possible in the gospel by the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. You may have made a New Year's resolution already over this last few weeks, but I reckon this is a good one to put at the top of the list, that this year, 2015, will be the year that I go hard after God, that I would drink deeply of the Scriptures, that I would seek the face of God in the Scriptures. You know, I think often Christians fall on some level of spectrum when it comes to our personal devotions. On one level, it can be consistent every day, but it's dry and it's dutiful and there's no joy. Or, or at the other end of the spectrum, it's just non-existent at all. If that's what it's going to look like, then forget it. I'm not going to bother. But I want to suggest to you a middle road, a middle road an alternative, and that is dil- diligence with delight. Diligence with delight. We're kidding ourselves if we think we can walk into 2015 and bear fruit and grow in our faith and, and endure the hardships that come our way if we cut ourselves off from the source of life. When I was at university, I studied exercise science. And one of the things we looked at was what is the most effective way to exercise to put on muscle mass? What is the most effective way to exercise in order to lose weight? And there's a myth that floats around that says if you go to the gym on an empty stomach, you're going to lose weight. You'll burn fat because there's no carbs in your system and so your body has to then burn all the fat that's in there. It's a myth. Your body actually stores heaps of carbs that it can tap into when it needs to in exercise. And so people are going to the gym and they've got an empty stomach, they're en- there's, there's no energy, they're tired, they're lethargic, they can't exercise to their full capacity. In fact, there's a whole bunch of physiological things that happen in your body in terms of Um, secretion of hormones that means your body will burn more fat if you have some carbs in your system. And it seems to me that so many Christians do life like that. Go to the gym on an empty stomach. We, We try and live a blessed year and bear fruit and walk through a season of trial and yet we've severed ourselves from our source of life and nourishment. If we want energy and vibrancy in our walk in 2015... We need to be people who would meditate on the Scriptures, find pleasure and delight and joy in the Word. And so I want to give you a couple of tips to do that. First tip is this. We put out some some Scripture reading notes towards the end of last year using that REAP method. And if that's going to be helpful for you, then I want to encourage you to pick those up as they become available in February and get on board with reading the Scriptures and meditating on them deeply. So that's the first tip. Maybe the second tip is to sign up for a Bible reading program. That might be helpful for you, and there's heaps of them available online. In fact, if you've got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, just use that. It doesn't have to be a 365-day Bible reading program. 2013 or 2012, I made a New Year's resolution. I was going to read through the whole Bible in a year. And I remember, I don't even know when it was, but it was pretty early in the year. We were shopping, and Tasha's in Maya looking at the... Um, 
the section that guys don't go into. When I was sitting on a couch just on the outside, trying to speed read all of my, my days that I'd missed. And I was just trying to catch up. I'm reading really fast. And I'm thinking, this is not what it's meant to be like. This is, this is not meditating on the Word of God. And so I just gave up. And so maybe it's not going to be a read the Bible in a whole year for you. Maybe that's just too much of a goal. Maybe it's read the Bible in four years. Maybe it's just read the New Testament year, whatever it is. If that's going to be helpful for you, then do it. Sign up for a reading program. Tip number three, get in a gospel community. Hope mentioned this earlier today, but there is nothing better than sitting in community and unpacking the scriptures together and applying the gospel to each other's lives. In fact, some of the research that I mentioned earlier, that NCLS data said that within the emerging generation, the younger generation, when they had ticked, yes, I feel like I've grown in my faith this year, the thing that they attributed to that growth wasn't, the the number one thing wasn't their personal devotion. It was their community, the community of faith that spoke the truth into them. So if you're not in a gospel community, friends, can I encourage you to get in one? If you're considering making Anchor Home, that is the best expression of community for us. Get plugged in. Allow people to speak the truth of the scriptures to you in that context. So, uh, another habit can be this. Get excited for preaching. And you might think, well, I mean, yeah, I come, I come to church and, and I listen to the sermon. What more do you want me to do? I want to say come prepared, come prayed, prayed ready to hear from God. I would love to see a resurgence in note-taking. I think note-taking's kind of fallen out of fashion, at least in the circles that I've been in. And so this is my suggestion to you. Go out this year and buy yourself a really nice leather-bound journal. Don't, don't, don't go to typo and get a cheap one that you're going to throw in the back of the car and lose and forget. Get an expensive one, nice one that's leather-bound, that costs money and you're going to look after it and come to church and take notes and then take that, that journal to your gospel community in the middle of the week and open that up and, and share what God has spoken to you in the, in the message and let's have a resurgence of note taking that we would meditate on the word and not just sit here and we would go back and think on it and pray and ask the spirit to radically transform us. What about this? Let's get in the habit of asking each other What is God teaching you in the Scriptures at the moment? What is the Spirit pressing on your heart? Now, I don't think we ask that question because we're afraid of the question in return. We've got nothing to say. So let's just be a gospel-centered church and be real honest with each other. If you're struggling, why not bludge off someone else's joy in their personal reading? Ask them, what is God teaching you? And as they share with you, look at their face and see the delight of God transforming them. Let that be an encouragement and a motivation to you to get back into it. And then when they ask you, what's God been teaching? Just be honest and say, you know what, I'm struggling. Uh, I haven't really been reading or I've been reading and it's dry. Would you pray for me? Let's get in the habit of asking, what is God teaching you? Quick word to the parents here of young children, and maybe I'm just speaking to my family and the Santiago's right now, but um, if you're a parent of young kids, it be particularly draining. The reality is that life for you in this season, you will just do everything tired and at maybe 50%. Our kids woke up at 4.30 this morning. I went to bed at 12.30. That's just, that's just life as a parent with young kids. And so what's it going to look like for you in this season to drink deeply of the Scriptures uh, let me share my wife's strategy. She just has the verse of the day, and that's, her, that's the thing that she goes to. She's got maybe 30 seconds without a child, and open up the app, 
verse of the day, meditate on that as she goes on her way. Whatever it looks like for you in that season. Or maybe for you it's that you just need to read a different translation. Maybe you've just been reading the translation that you've got for years and sometimes it's just taking a different translation and the language is fresh and new and different. It opens your eyes to the truths that maybe you'd become a bit stale to. I remember hearing of a missionary who was um, really wrestling with a season of spiritual dryness and had been reading his scriptures day in, day out, and it was stale. And, and then he just decided he would open the message. And he read the message and he said, it just spoke to me in a way that my old NIV 84 hadn't been doing for me. And, and it reignited my faith. And the Lord restored to me the joy of my salvation in that. Maybe take a different translation and try that. But maybe for you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, this makes no sense to me. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're not a believer, a follower of Jesus. And so my suggestion to you is this. Pick up this book and read it. Because we believe that God speaks through this by His Spirit and radically transforms lives. Have you ever read this book? Or have you just heard of what our culture says of this book? Maybe the best education you've had of the Scriptures comes from the South Park and Simpsons. I want to suggest to you it's probably not a good, accurate understanding of what this book is about. This book is about the person of Jesus who radically transforms our lives. If you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, please take a copy of the scriptures from the back this morning. Let that be our gift to you and read it. Let me show you two things quickly as we close. Every, every time this year, the bloggers start to quote a guy called Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a, a revivalist preacher who at a point in his life as a young man, wrote out 70 resolutions for himself. Resolution number 28 is this. Resolved. He, he begins every resolution with resolved. Resolved to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same, that is, in the knowledge of the Scriptures. That's a good resolution to have for 2015. A friend of mine called Vuti. He was a, a Cambodian guy that I studied with when I went through college. And uh, Vuti was sharing his testimony with us. He grew up in Cambodia in Phnom Penh during the reign of Pol Pot. And uh, he grew up as a street kid in street gangs. And someone one day, someone gave him a Bible. And he took it and he loved his Bible. You know why he loved it? Because those thin, light pages made perfect pages to tear out and roll up for his tobacco so he could smoke his cigarettes. Vuti literally smoked his way through the whole Bible. He got to the last page left. and I, In my head, I always pictured it to be the last page of Revelation, but I'm sure it wasn't because somehow he read the last page thinking, I, ne I need to get another one of these books so I can keep rolling my cigarettes. And he read the last page, found out it was about Jesus, went back to the church. They gave him another Bible, but this time he decided he would read it as well as smoke it, and Jesus changed his life. To this day, Vudi is working in a, in a, a theological college in Phnom Penh, Phnom Penh Bible School, and he is training men and women in this book. He is teaching them the scriptures and equipping them to go to their cities and their towns and their villages and preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus. Vudi used to say in his broken English, I used to have the word of God on my lungs, but now I have the word of God on my heart. Friends, this book radically transforms lives. Would you read it this year? Would you meditate on it? 
Would you drink deeply of the scriptures? I'm going to suggest if you do that, then you will have a blessed life, a blessed year that bears much fruit, that grows in your faith, that endures the hardships that come your way. It's our prayer for you this year that this book would be your light to your feet. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who has spoken to us. And Lord, we long to be a people who would listen to what you would have to say. We long to be a people, Father, who would drink deeply of the Scriptures. And we don't want to do this out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of delight and joy because we long to know you. We want to be like the person in 1 Peter who longs for the Scriptures like a baby longs for milk. And so, Father, we pray for new affections this year. Would you give us new taste buds on the tongues of our heart that as we open the Scriptures, we would see wonderful things there, that your Spirit would be transforming us, making us more and more like Jesus. Father, bless 2015. Would we not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but delight in your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.